0: You can be seated for a moment. I'll let you sit down for a moment. It's so wonderful to be in the Alaska Yukon District. What a beautiful place. Can I tell you something sincerely? That sunlight is just blowing my mind. I'm laying down on that bed, and I'm staring at that window, and my body's saying, it's not time yet. Such a beautiful place. And my father and I have had the privilege to go fishing already this week. And then we went up in an airplane. Thank you, Brother Ayers. And uh, I'm so very thankful to Brother Crumpacker for the opportunity to go up in the, into the, that airplane and see the beauty and the wonder of this incredible place. Uh, just amazing. So we're thankful. And uh, my dad and I, I believe our first meal when we arrived was at, what's it called? Debbie's? De- Su- Susie's, not Debbie, Susie's. And uh, we had a fish that I've never tasted before. What was the name of that fish? It's like the Cadillac fish. Huh? Halibut. Halibut. I had halibut. And uh, when I get back to Wisconsin, I'm going to sue Long John Silver for false advertising. Yes. It's over. It's over. The world needs to know. They have been scammed. Will never be the same. Halibut, wow. And what a delight to be in service last night. I want you to know that you have a signature superintendent Wow, Brother Parrish, a godly man, a godly man, a prince of a man, bringing the word of God without fear, preaching apostolic truth. It's the highway of holiness. And your district superintendent is leading the way. So I give honor to Brother Parrish, His family, God bless you. And then one of the icons of our fellowship, Brother Blackshear. I don't know if you know this. Yes, incredible man of God. (laughs) Brother Blackshear pastored in Clintonville, Wisconsin. That is where my father pastored for 23 years and so they share that. They have that common denominator. And uh, we were so pleased many years ago now to, to bring Brother and Sister Blacks here back to celebrate then the church's 75th church anniversary and to let them see what God was doing there in Clintonville, Wisconsin. So I give honor to your district board, Brother Bradbury, appreciate you, love your worship, just appreciate who you are. Amen. Amen. Brother Glover and Brother Churchill and Brother Bagwell, and I don't know if I'm missing anybody. Brother J- James Blackshear, God bless you, a tremendous pastor in this fellowship. And I was listening, I was in awe of what's happening in North American missions in the Alaska district. I've never heard anything like it. The giving, the participation, Student missionaries. This is incredible. And I'm telling you, I'm taking that word back. I'm taking the word back to the Wisconsin District, what is happening here. And I honor Brother James Blackshear for his tremendous leadership, loved and respected in our fellowship very much so. And uh, also very thankful for Brother Scott Sistrunk. He was my wife's youth pastor back in the day. And I've known him for many years when. Nobody was having me preach. He would preach me every time I would come in the area. Thank you for giving me a chance, Brother Sistrunk. I appreciate that. And his message, wow, theological, doctrinal, transformational, about the ecclesia, the church. I've got to have that CD. I want you to come to Appleton, Wisconsin, and preach that message. We need that. And I'm so thankful for that. And it is so true that Brother Sistrunk is one of the apostles of our fellowship, a church planter, a man with a burden for the Detroit area. And I'm so thankful that God has raised up great men in this hour to lead us and to show us and to encourage us what church planting is all about. So thankful for that. Amen. Amen. And I'm glad to have my dad here. I respect him and love him so very much. And this is just something that I wanted to... uh, I wanted to have this experience with my father, and uh, we've heard about the miracles that God is doing in this campground, and my dad needs one. He is losing his sight, and that is one of the reasons why I wanted him to come. Uh, I wanted him to see this place, but he needs a miracle, and so if you see my dad, just get right in front of him, and when you shake his hand, go like this, because if you go like this, he won't, he won't see your hand, but uh, I'm so very thankful for my dad. He is a true Christian man. I watched him. Uh, he was a great saint, and then he was a great Sunday school teacher, and he was a great youth leader, and a great deacon, and a great elder. He became a great pastor. There was never a time when my dad ever had ever heard my dad say, "Well, are we going to go to church today?" Uh, my dad walked his talk, and so I honor my dad and my mom today. I'm thankful for them. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I want to talk to us about a question that Jesus asked. A question that Jesus asked. Now, if we could just pray, let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts. This is not a concession message. This is a message that is going to prepare you to receive greater things from God. If you will receive what God has for you, you will receive greater things. You're about to understand that there is a barrier that is frustrating God's purpose for your life. And God is going to confront what we have allowed into our life with a question. So Lord Jesus, we love you. And we are so very thankful for the power of your word. And we're thankful for what we feel in this place, but not just what we feel, what we know about what is in this place. Anything can happen. We release, God, your power. In Jesus' name, Lord, fill this house with your glory. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. We're talking about questions. We all have questions. I know I have a few questions, not necessarily important questions, but just to start with, I do have a few questions. Why is abbreviated such a long word? Why is the time of day when traffic is at a standstill called rush hour? Why don't, it, why don't we ever see this Headline in the newspaper Psychic wins lottery. Yeah. Questions Why isn't there mouse flavored cat food? Why do we drive on parkways and park on driveways? You know, questions can be game changers in a life. Doctors know that asking the right questions can save time. It can bring about a proper diagnosis. It can save a life. Good lawyers know that their case is hinged on asking the right questions. Ask the right question and the criminal is prosecuted. The innocent We'll go free. Counselors can pinpoint the core problem and bring about meaningful change by asking the right questions. And when you read the Gospels, it doesn't take you long to realize that Jesus was a master at asking questions. Who do men say that I am? Have I been so long with you and you still don't know me, Philip? We might ask ourselves, why so many questions, Jesus? After all, he was the possessor of all wisdom. He knew every life in intimate detail before he ever met them. So why did Jesus ask so many questions? You will discover as you study the life of Jesus that he asked questions not to find the answer, but to reveal truth. Jesus asked questions because he wanted people to think. You see, it's one thing for me to talk you into something. But whatever you discover, that's yours to keep. And the Lord said, I want you to ask the question so that you can arrive at truth for yourself. I want you to learn some things. I want you to get out of your mental rut. Now, we're going to talk about A question that Jesus asked found in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start reading at verse 25, and I'll be reading from a different translation because there is a word that is used in this translation that I believe is a flashpoint for our fellowship and for our world today. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying... What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God bless you. You can be seated. Here's a question for you. According to the World Health Organization, which country in the world is the most anxious? Any guesses? It is the United States by a wide margin. Nearly nearly one in five Americans, that's 40 million American adults, suffer from some kind of measurable anxiety disorder. In fact, anxiety is the most common type of psychiatric problem facing Americans. It is twice as common as depression. So, America, congratulations. You're the gold medal winner in anxiety. Why are you so anxious? What are you worrying about? You know, we would assume that the... Issue of anxiety revolves around not having basic necessities or living in an unstable situation. We would assume people struggling to meet basic needs like food, clothing, shelter, that they would be the most anxious. We're talking about third world countries, the developing nations. These are the people. Rwanda. Places where there is great unrest, civil war. But according to a World Mental Health Survey, people in developing nations are much less likely to show signs of anxiety than do Americans, despite the fact that they have more basic life and survival issues to worry about. And the sad thing is that anxiety in America is actually on the increase and sadder yet. Are you ready for this? Our teens in America are measurably more anxious than older People, It's on the increase. It is defining us. And I would here, I'm here to tell you, it is disfiguring us. I'm asking you a question. Why are you worried? Brother Soto, how much time do you have? Why do I worry? I worry because I'm a parent. My child is being rebellious. I'm worrying because our house isn't selling. We're struggling financially. Why am I worried? I have chronic pain, Brother Soto. Why am I worried? Somebody that I love and treasure has a disease in their body. And if God doesn't intervene, there's going to be a funeral. Jesus asked three times, why do you worry? And three times in our text, he tells us, "Do not worry." I'm going to rephrase that. He didn't tell us; he commanded us. How many of you believe Acts two thirty-eight? How many of you believe De- Deuteronomy six and four? How many of you of you believe if the Lord says it, that's what we should do? It is time for us to understand. It is a command from Jesus Christ Himself. Do not worry. So what is worry? The word original. In the original of our text, Matthew chapter 6 is an interesting word. In the original Greek, it literally means, are you ready? Note takers, write this down. It means this, to have a divided mind. Mind. To have a divided mind. So catch that now. To be worried or to be anxious is to have a mind that is not functioning as a whole. Your brain is literally impaired. When you worry, your brain is impaired. When you're impaired, you are at a huge disadvantage. Have you ever been behind someone who is driving with a divided mind? Anybody? It wasn't, you know, discernment. It was the gift of suspicion that they were texting. Some ladies all over the road, you know, and you're just like, whoa, I just, I need to stay back. And when you get your chance, you go for it, you just pass her and you look, and she's putting her face on. That's scary, right there. She's putting her face on while she's driving. Scary. Risky. Have you ever been on the phone with a divided mind? And you're talking to someone on the phone and then there's somebody in the room who's trying to talk to you at the same time. It's very difficult to manage both of those conversations. You are not at your best when you have a divided mind. Did you hear what I'm saying? Can I tell you it's a risky thing to drive when you have a divided mind, and it is a risky thing to live with a divided mind. You are at a disadvantage. You are impaired. Can I tell you that when you worry, it impairs your prayers. It impairs your preaching. It impairs your witness. It impairs your ability to fight against spiritual wickedness in high places. And it is time for us to trust the word of God and obey our shepherd and say, I'm going to believe him. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to stop doubting. I'm taking a step of faith in my life and in my ministry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now let me ask you this question. How do you feel when someone says, don't worry? Be honest now. I don't know about you, but if I'm facing a serious problem and someone comes along and tells me, don't worry, it's irritating. It's irritating. Man, my boss just told me. He's cutting my hours in half. Don't worry. The doctor found a spot in my lungs. Oh, don't worry. My teenager didn't come home last night. Don't worry. Seriously? Seriously? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sounds like someone's being trite. It sounds like they're not being sympathetic. They don't really understand what we're going through. When, we, when people tell us, don't worry, we don't like it. We almost want to say, hey, I'm worried for a good reason. You just don't understand what I'm going through. But can we remember who it is that is telling us not to worry? This is not a patronizing comment of an insensitive person. This is not a directive from a person who simply doesn't understand what we're dealing with. This is coming from a man who had the ability to look all the way down the horizon of our life. He sees all the way to the finish line. And he says, I'm, you know, I'm already there and I can tell you it's going to be all right. Come on, he's in your tomorrows. He's on the other side of your storm. He says, I can see all the way and I'm here to tell you, you don't need to worry. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. These words, don't worry, were spoken to us by a person who had the ability to look into his own future and see his own epic struggle in high definition. And yet his command to us today is, don't worry. So let's try to gain some perspective about this man who is telling us not to worry. There's a story in the Gospels about Jesus writing in a boat on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and suddenly a storm comes up, and the waves are high, and they're crashing over the boat, and they're threatening to swamp the boat, and all of the disciples are—they're crying, and 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 they're j- just freaking out, and the oh Lord, we're going to die, help us, help us. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping like a man in a mattress commercial while the disciples are freaking out Jesus is resting and what is being illustrated here is that it is possible to sleep and to have rest while the storm is raging when Jesus Told us not to worry. He was getting at something that's very profound. You ready for this? No takers, write this down. Worry is an an internal problem, not an external problem. Jesus asked, Why are you worrying? And now we're coming back to the real value of questions. Why did Jesus ask questions? The reason is to force us to think. And he is saying, I need you to think now. I'm preaching this because there are people within the sound of my voice. There is no peace in your heart. The enemy has hijacked your life with fear. Fear is defining your life and not faith. And the Lord says, can we sit down and can we talk? Because I have greater things for you than this. And you are living beneath your spiritual means. And you are playing it safe. And I want to do something powerful in Alaska, Yukon district. I want to use you. I want you to be a city set up on a hill that cannot be hit. But worry is holding you. Worry is putting an artificial lid on your life, on your ministry. Let's talk about one of the primary reasons for worry. Has nothing to do with your circumstance, actually. Worry is the failure to think. Note takers, would you write that down? Worry is the failure to think. Oh, wait a minute. Brother Soto, can we talk about that for a second? You're telling me that worry is the failure to think. I can't sleep because I can't stop thinking. No, you're not thinking, you're worrying. You don't understand that worry and thinking are two different things entirely. Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. See, there's a difference between worrying and thinking. Didn't the psalmist say, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together? We are worrying because we're magnifying our problems. We're magnifying the devil. Your worry is a poor use of your imagination. We're supposed to magnify the Lord. Think on these things. Wow. So we worry not because we are thinking. It's because we are not thinking that we worry. As a matter of fact... Most of our emotional problems are rooted in our failure to think deeply about truth. I want to take this a step further. Most of our missed God moments and most of our missed miracles are linked to this. We allow worry to run roughshod over our faith. I'm here to tell somebody, you are missing moments. God is wanting to show himself strong in your life and in your church. But we can't think. We are handicapped. Our ability to think has been impaired. The devil is holding our mind hostage. And it's time to get back to who we serve. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? take that a step further. Would you write this down, note takers? The reason why I talk about note takers is because I think it's important to harvest God's word. And I always say that because I want to try to create a culture of people harvesting God's word. That's why I always say that. Worry is vision without faith. Oh, you have vision, all right. But it's worry, and you have misappropriated your expectations. You're imagining the worst. But ultimately, worry is failure to calculate God in the equation. Oh. We could sit down and we could talk about your scenario. We could talk about your situation. And I can tell you I am not being patronizing. And I can tell you it is very possible and even probable that you are going through things that I have never gone through in my life. And I understand that they can be painful. What you're going through, the betrayal, the hurt, the hunger, whatever it is in your life, it can be very difficult. But I just want you to know if, if we didn't have a Savior, if we didn't have a God who loved us, it would be an overwhelming thing for us to discuss but what i'm trying to do is to tell you you need to put god in the equation of your situation you need to put him right smack dab in the middle of your situation and realize if god be for me who can be against me no weapon formed against me is going to prosper Was it James who said, count it all joy? Count it all joy. That word count in the original language, it's a mathematical word, count. You're supposed to put God in the equation. And so many times we spend words. We spend words. How many of you know that life and death is in the power of your tongue? And when you speak, you are spending. You are making an investment. And when God is not in the equation, we have misappropriated expectation. And we are imagining the worst. I remember somebody said, as your faith is, so be it unto you. Worry is failure to think. And we need to put God in the equation of our conversations. It's okay to speak the truth in love. I'm not talking about being in denial. But after you talk about the facts, don't forget the fact that God, God loves you with a perfect love. And He is at work. And he is planning. As a matter of fact, you need to get in the habit of saying this. Are you ready? I'm blessed and I can't help it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm blessed and I can't help it. No matter what you have to talk about, you remind yourself, I'm blessed and I can't help it. Why? My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. All this too shall pass. Hallelujah. Now, I've been speaking for 26 minutes, and we need to move along. We need to think. What are we going to think about? Number one, note takers, would you write this down? This is what we need to think about. Are you ready for this? Is there a God? Now, I know this is like one on one, this is basics, but really, when we're worried, we really need to get all the way back to this. And if you would get all the way back to this, I'm here to tell you your faith's about to increase. Whatever you're going through, I've got a question for you. Is there a God? Okay, you're facing cancer. Okay, you're facing a divorce. Okay, you're facing the death of a dream. But rather than sit down and concede the situation, I have a question for you. Is there a God? Are you alone in this world? Are you facing this problem by yourself? Are you totally unsupported? Is everything depending on you and your wits and your ability and your plans? Or is there a God? Is there? Somebody's struggling with that. We have some young people struggling with that. Is there a God? You wonder that? It's okay to ask questions. I think everybody's faith should stand trial someday. Right? Untested faith cannot be trusted. Isn't that true? Untested faith cannot be trusted. And so now you're really asking yourself the question, is there a God? Well, is there? All right. In the bow tie. Sir. If you could drive any car in the world, money's not an option. What would you drive? A Toyota Tundra pickup. Spoken like a true Alaskan right there, baby. That is a true Alaskan. A Toyota Tundra pickup. And I pull in front of your house... And I have the newest, the latest, the greatest Toyota Tundra pickup. And you walk outside and you say, hey, Brother Soto, that is a sweet-looking truck. I really like that truck. And I say, man, you're not going to believe this, but a a tornado hit the junkyard and put this thing together. (laughs) Would you believe me? Why wouldn't you believe me? Well, of course, there's something called probability, right? If a tornado hits a junkyard, I'm sorry, it's not going to put a Toyota Tundra together. And your body makes a Toyota Tundra look like a tricycle. And the world's trying to tell you you you're an accident. I'm telling you, there is an intelligent mind behind who you are. There is a a God. Somebody said yes? Oh, I know this pulpit's made out of wood. But if you saw this in the woods, you wouldn't assume it grew there even though it's made out of wood, you can see for yourself, somebody put it together. I'm here to tell you, you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. There is a God. Well, is there a God? Come on, class, is there a God? Well, if there is a God, what is he like? You may be seated. What are you worrying about? Is there a God? Well, you just said there is. Okay, so there's a God. What is he like? Is he the kind of God who would create a world and just simply wind it up and let it go? Is he involved with this planet? Is he involved with his creation? Does he care about you? Does he care about only the big things or does he care about the little things? What is your God like? Is he big? Is he small? Is he capable? Is he intelligent? Can he manage his affairs? Do you think he can manage yours? Is he reliable? What is he like? Well, First John 4, 6, 8 tells us something very important. It tells us this is, this is really powerful. God is love. Love isn't just something that God does. It's who he is. Well, that's powerful. Touch your neighbor and say, that's powerful. Now tell him, say, love is not just what God does. Love is who he is. Verse John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Oh, come on now. I'm trying to confront your worry. I'm trying to tell you and remind you there is a God, and I'm trying to help you to understand what he's like. The cross is our window to the heart of God. So many people have the story of Jesus all wrong. Anybody ever hear this story? God made man. Man sinned. Sin had to be punished. So God the angry father vented his wrath on Jesus, his son for us so that we could have help Jesus the Son was slaughtered by a raging father so we don't have to deal with the penalty of sin. Has anybody ever heard that kind of description? That version of the gospel doesn't speak of love to me. Did you hear what I said? That doesn't speak of love to me. I'm trying to tell you what God is like. God didn't send somebody else. 2 Corinthians 5.19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses upon them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God didn't send somebody else. God was in Christ. By the way, Revelation chapter 13 tells us that the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. That tells me that this whole cross scenario was not some Hail Mary Plan B situation. It was God's original design from the beginning to lay down His life for you. Is there a God? If there's a God, what is He like? He loves you. Why are you worried? So there is a God. And this God loves you. Here's the third question. Are you ready for this, note takers? Who are you in relationship to him? Who are you in relationship to him? Why do you worry and how do you overcome worry in your life? Well, ask yourself this question. Who am I in relationship to God? Matthew 6.26. Ready? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, let's just stop and rewind because it's so easy to miss something that was said there. The Bible says that these birds are taken care of. And then it says, we're talking about status and who you are in relationship to God. And it says, and yet your watch, heavenly father. We're trying to figure out who we are in relationship to this God. I'm from Wisconsin. It gets cold in Wisconsin. I know you guys are on another level sometimes. But it will get 30 below, you know. And uh, it will get very cold. And on one of those days, I will see a crow that's flying in the sky. One of those days when it is bitter cold. I've never seen a crow with boots on. Never. Little mittens a hat. Never. That thing's just flying out there. And I was like, who's taking care of you? I'm, you know, I'm driving down the road. I don't know why. It just I feel like I'm warmer if my shoulders go up. And I'm driving, and I've got a coat on, and the heater's on, and it hasn't caught up yet with the cold. And I'm sitting there shivering, and there's a crow going, whoo And you know what that crow's reminding me of? It's reminding me of the fact that our Heavenly Father takes care of that crow. And if he can take care of the bird on a cold winter day, can you believe? Can you have enough faith to trust he can take care of you? Jesus is getting at something here. What is he getting at? Here it is. He's saying, If I'm your father, would you do me a favor? Would you stop acting like you don't have one? How embarrassing would that be? If you're at the store and your child walks up to you and says, Oh, Dad, please feed me today. Please don't starve me, Dad. Dad don't leave me in the store don't leave me dad please take me home with you dad what would you use to be like be quiet what are you talking about you are embarrassing me And sometimes the way that we worry is an embarrassment to our Heavenly Father. He says, you act like I've never done anything for you before. You act like I'm not a good dad. You act like you should go get some other parent. But I'm here to tell you, there's never been a father like our Heavenly Father. He's got you. He's got you in the palm of his hand. Come on, somebody clap your hands to the Lord. Jesus said, Why are you worried? Why? Christians who worry believe God can redeem them, break the shackles of Satan, take them from hell to heaven, put them into his kingdom, give them eternal life. They just don't think that God can get them through the next few days. It's pretty ridiculous that we can believe God for the greater gifts and then stumble and not trust him for the lesser ones. And this is an embarrassing lack of faith. God is looking at you, and he's looking you right in the eye, and he's saying, do not worry. Don't act like you can't trust me. Don't act like I can't handle this. Somebody said amen. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you have doubts. You don't exactly know how it's all going to end. I'm going to say something. Maybe you won't agree with me. But I don't think that faith is necessarily the absence of all doubt. It's trusting God in spite of them. I don't know about all you, but I don't have the panoramic view of how everything's going to work in my life. I don't know how God is going to supply every need in my life. I don't see it in my human rationale and understanding. I don't know how it's all going to work. But if I'm going to doubt something, I'm going to doubt my doubts. I'm going forward in spite of them. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to celebrate him. Oh, hallelujah. I believe all things are going to work out for good. You know, I just believe that. I really believe that. I believe that all things are going to work out for good. Have you heard that before? You sound like you've heard that before. I believe that all things are going to work out for good. Everything. Like everything. Almost 10 years ago, I was co-pastoring with one of my very best friends in the whole world. He had cancer in his body. And I was at the hospital after he found out that he had adenocarcinoma cancer. And I went to a computer. And I pulled out Romans 8.28. And I said, God, this verse says all things... Lord, I just want to know this thing. And the Lord, I could feel it in my spirit. Yep, even this. Yep. It's going to work out for good. It's going to work out for good. (laughs) Whatever it is that you're going through, could you just underscore that word all? And could you just look up towards heaven and could you say, Lord, this thing, is this going to work out for good? Oh, yes. All things. Now, I know that some things are not palatable all by themselves. Some things are very difficult to go through in life by themselves. Has anybody ever tasted vanilla extract? I did as a child. I tasted it. My mom wasn't looking, it smelled like cream soda. And if it smells like cream soda, I'm sure it's gonna taste like it. It didn't. And then I saw my mom baking, and she was making a cake. Guess what? She was using that vanilla extract. I couldn't believe it that she would use something so nasty to make something so amazing. I was skeptical, I doubted my mother. And her ability to bake. I didn't think she really was doing the right thing. But when it was all said and done and that cake had cooled. And the frosting went on the top. And that cake was looking good. I thought I might as well just try it a little bit. And can I tell you I tasted that cake. And it was good. And I learned that some things by themselves. They don't taste very good. But when you put it together with everything else. Can I tell you it can be good. God can prove himself in your storm. The disciples said, Jesus, we're about to perish. And Jesus just rebuked the wind and the waves. It wasn't fun going through that storm. But when it was all over with, they had a greater revelation of the authority of this man called Jesus. When it's all said and done, you're going to have a greater understanding, a greater revelation of the power of God. Somebody said amen. Amen. I want the musicians to come. I have a question for you. Why are you worried? Why? We're missing God moments because we're playing it safe. Lord, if it be you, bid me come. The Lord is saying come. Come on, what kind of revival are we going to have in the boat? What kind of revival are we going to have in the boat? I hear the voice of the master saying, I want you to come. I want you to step out of your comfort zone. I want you to step out of your doubts. I want you to lay hands on the sick. They're going to recover. I want you to preach without faith, without uh, fear or favor. I want you to deliver the word of faith. I'm about to do something in this last day. There's no room for fear. Oh, hallelujah. Can I just tell you a couple things? I feel the Spirit of the Lord moving in this place. Can I just tell you something? God's doing some amazing things. I prayed a prayer. I started praying a prayer, church. Would you stand with me? Go ahead and stand with me. I prayed a prayer. And I've been praying this prayer for quite some time now, but I've just simply been praying, command me, Lord, according to your will. I may not understand I may not have it all figured out, but just command me according to your will. I've stepped into something that I call radical submission. Radical submission. If you tell me, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. And since I've started just saying, Lord, command me according to your will, I've learned that I'm not frustrating God like I used to, and I haven't arrived. But I'm seeing more of the miraculous because I'm thinking, Lord, I don't want fear to define me. I don't want worry to define me. Lord if you speak, I'm going to listen to you. And we are seeing amazing things. A couple of testimonies and then we're just going to really speak a word of faith. I'm seeing God doing some amazing things. Dad and my dad will testify to this. A, a, a woman, a Muslim woman is coming to our church. She's in her full garb. And God is touching her in a powerful way. She's finding herself being caught up in worship then realizing what she's doing and sitting down embarrassed. The pull of the spirit. Mm. It's powerful. There's a pull. We're seeing that. A man walked into our church a few months ago. He was wearing women's clothing, and he had been wearing such clothing for over 20 years. I wonder, what can God do? Oh, I wish you could see RJ today. He went down in the water, he came out of that water. You know what he told me after the water? Experience in Jesus name he said for the first time I feel like I am a new man in Christ Jesus he went to our men's retreat he went on his Facebook page he's changed his status he was going through a transition he's going back oh I'm just telling you God wants to do some powerful things in this last day I was being defined by my fear. I was being defined by worry. I was playing it safe. God revealed to me I was the lid on the church because I was playing it safe. The Lord brought an accusation against me that I was trying to demote him from commander to consultant. And he told me that I would never be successful. The only thing I would be successful in doing was being insubordinate to him. And he rebuked me for playing it safe. And I've been praying, God, I'm so sorry. Command me according to your will. And I'm seeing things I've never seen before. In the last year, our church has grown by 150 In the last year, we're seeing something happening that we have never seen before. And I'm just here to tell you, I haven't arrived, but there's this new thing that God is doing in my life. And I I look back and I realize the enemy had hijacked my ministry with worry. But now I realize it's interesting how long you have to go to Bible school to figure this stuff out, Brother Sistrunk. You know what I've learned? There's a God. And I've learned what he's like. He's powerful. There's nobody like him. And I've learned that I am his child. And if he takes care of the birds, he can take care of me. Why are you worrying? Now I want you to lift that need before heaven. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know what's going to happen. But I can tell you this, it's going to work out for good. And instead of begging and pleading with God as if he's a father who would hold a good thing from you, why don't you begin to thank the Lord that he's got it in control and he sees your life all the way down the horizon and he's going to be with you every step of the way and I want you to begin to rejoice I want us to take authority over the spirit of fear right now. America, it's not a time to be hijacked by fear. I don't care what ISIS does. I don't care who becomes president of the United States. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. By the authority of the word of God and the power that is in the name of Jesus, we bind the spirit of fear. We take authority over the spirit of fear. Lord Jesus, we ask you to render that spirit powerless. Send it back to hell. Send that spirit back to hell. Execute your righteous judgments against that spirit, Lord. We lose the spirit of faith in this house. In Jesus' name, we lose faith in this house. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Can somebody lift up a shout of victory?